So let's say that you have this dream of making it to the Olympic Games, but it's been months since you've raced and since the world shut down, there's really not a whole lot going on in your neighborhood. So what do you do? Well, if you're Julianne Staley, you hop the border, relocate to New Mexico with fellow hopeful Charlotte Prowse, toe the line with an absolute legend of the sport, get a national record, a couple new PBs, and find yourself in a much better place than when you left and hunt for a ticket to Tokyo 2021. This week, Julianne tells us that story. My name is Michael Rokas, and you're listening to The Terminal Mile. All right, so it's it's actually a super cool story. I mean, you, you go stateside, you base yourself in New Mexico with with another great runner, Charlotte Prowse. Uh, you go to different meets across the country and piece together a season in a time when, like, it, it wasn't really a thing. It wasn't really a likely sort of thing. Then you go on and set multiple PBs. When and how did this this whole plan come together? I, I'm really just so so curious about this. Yeah, so I guess essentially, I guess beginning of January, um, I was I was as fit as I've ever been, and just based on workouts and and how things were going, I was really excited to to get into some races. And I knew that um, in the U.S. things were taking place, um, and I'd never done uh, a winter training camp before. So just coming out of the Canadian system, that wasn't really a thing offered. So. Um, I thought this was maybe the chance to to try it out and and go for it. But basically, um, because of Charlotte Prowse, I had messaged her, and uh, she was open to hosting. And I'd never been to Albuquerque or New Mexico um, before, but I thought that would be a, a great place to just start, especially with the altitude. Um, it's right around 5,500 5, feet, sorry. So um, it's, it's not as high as kind of your flag staff at 7,000, but still you get that stimulus and, um, the races that I was hoping to do, I would, I would be close to those as well. So, um, that's sort of how, how that happened. Honestly, you, you know, when preparing for this one thing that, that kind of tied everything together, uh, throughout this all, you know, whether it be traveling in a pandemic to a brand new place, uh, to just your, your racing strategy and watching back some of those races, uh, it was just a whole lot of like, I don't know, calculated risk taking. I, I guess that, that would be the term that, that I'd go for, uh, here with that. So with every risk, there is an end goal here. So Let's talk about the risk taking, but let's also talk about the end goal, and then let's let's evaluate whether whether the risk taking, if if you're looking back at it, is like yeah, no, I totally feel comfortable with this now. Yeah, that's it's funny you actually bring that up. I kind of glossed over the the process of planning the travel and and all that kind of stuff amidst a pandemic. So um, in January, it was there was a lot of things that I had to kind of figure out and calculate and as you said it's you're taking a risk and you have to understand what what kind of the consequences can be of that um but following the guidelines and and doing it as safely as you can um with with the flying and with the travel and everything like that um the best you can do is just protect yourself and and make sure that you're you're taking all the right i guess precautions um luckily in new mexico um and charlotte had kind of told me that as well but um they they take it really seriously and I was really surprised and um, I guess happy to see how everyone was abiding with masks and 
Um, anytime that we went out for runs, even if people were by themselves, just biking around the neighborhood, like everyone was, as was wearing a mask and, and all the, in the grocery stores and stuff like that too. So I never felt really, um, an added risk in that sense. Um, and just coming from London as well, I think it was almost tighter in terms of how, how people were treating the pandemic. So, um, that definitely helped a lot. And then in terms of the race organization, they, did everything that they could to ensure that it was a safe event. So um, both the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix and uh, the Trials of Miles in Austin, um, they were really well, really well done. So, you know, you come coming back after taking all, all those sorts of risks and, and realized, you know, like maybe it's it's not so bad. Like what's what's your general assessment? Like a, after the trip, was, was it worth all the, all the risks, you think? Yeah, I... I definitely, and I mean, I'm fortunate enough to be able to do a quarantine um, at my parents' place, and I'm I'm able to to afford to travel and to be able to take the month and do the training camp. I realize that's all something that I'm that I'm fortunate enough to be able to do. Um, looking back on it, I think it was a really great experience overall from running standpoint and just in general. Um, but I think being able to escape kind of that February slump that we had. I know the the temperature and the snow um, was not favorable for for running outside. So um, I don't, uh, yeah, I really think that that was a good move. All right. Well, we we are a a track and field web or... um podcast not really a risk-taking podcast so let's hop into it uh first race back uh big two-mile race at the new balance grand prix uh you set a national two-mile record we'll get to that in just a second but i have to know there's such a big stretch in organized races i i know you did a couple time trials this past year but what was that that first like what did you do to prepare to get ready for actual real racing again and what was that feeling like getting back on the track yeah, the the New Balance Grand Prix. I mean, it was it was a big meet to start out with, um, and I knew that, and I was really really excited. But I think more than anything, after so many months of not racing, all you want to do is just get on the start line and be able to compete. So, I just felt really lucky and fortunate to be able to to get into it. Um, I knew the start list. I knew I'd be in great company. Big names um, were at the were at the race. So, um, when I kind of on my flight over I remember I was just kind of like buzzing on my way to New York and I was thinking like oh my gosh like you know Emma Cobra and Alfrey are going to be here and um, this is going to be kind of a really good opportunity and just to be able to kind of hop into a high caliber meet with not a ton of expectation the two miles kind of a obscure distance um, and just kind of I guess one year post having raced I didn't really put too much pressure on it but I knew that it was going to be fast, so that was a plus. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I just, uh, it's nice to, to pick up where you left off and just to be able to run kind of an outright 3K PB and know that I'm in as good of or in better shape than I was this time last year is, is really encouraging. So yeah, you mentioned that. What is that like, you know, just standing on the start line, looking over and seeing like Emma Coburn there? Like, at, at this point, are you still getting starstruck when you are in some of these like high caliber races with, with just absolute studs like that? 
Yeah, it was it was the first time that I've raced those women specifically. Um, the next biggest race would have been the Melrose Games last exactly a year ago, last March. So I had some experience, I guess, in these bigger kind of high caliber races. But um, these are women that like you're following on Instagram, you see them um, as you're scrolling through and then to see them in the flesh, I guess it, it is really neat. And I think I mean, they're as incredible as you you see on Instagram, I would say. But um, I try not to let that get to me too much. And I think it was good to have that that two mile to start out with just because it took the edge off a little bit. And um, it is without the spectators and without that kind of um, environment, it does, it lessens, I guess, the nervousness because during COVID, like, it's almost more just like a low-key um, I guess a very high, high key elite race, but there's not that kind of crowd that you're, that you're running in front of. So that helps, I think, just to kind of balance out the, the nerves. So you, you, you mentioned it, uh, you know, in, in outright, uh, three KPP there, uh, the national two mile record, which you're right. It's kind of like an obscure, uh, race distance in there. It doesn't sound like you're putting a ton of pressure on it, but like, did you kind of have that, the record in mind at all? Or was it one of those things where you almost found out afterwards and you're like, Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't actually know what the record was. I know I had known that Jess ran it the year prior, um, because I'd gone to the, the Grand Prix, I'd gone to just watch, um, but I didn't really remember what the times had been. Um, and just because I had never run that distance either, I wasn't entirely sure like the splits because it's the 220 meters extra. So you're not really getting that three K even because you're not at the start line as you come through anyways, but they, they took an official three K split, which is kind of cool. Um, and to be able to run nine twenty two as well. Um, I mean, it, it probably doesn't mean much to the to the average person, but it is it is pretty special to think that like that used to be a good three k time for me in university, um, and now you're kind of crushing that and and going that extra bit. So, so let, let's talk about Texas because that that was kind of a cool uh, event as well too. In that like every single track person that I know up here was tuned into that event and you know there's been a lot of credit given and and rightfully so to uh, to chris and and his crew for for really covering uh that but really turning into a spectacle so that's what we felt at home what did it feel like there actually you know on the grounds of of the texas qualifier um i have to say the organization was next to none like it was we received emails almost every other day going through like the protocols and what was expected. And, um, in terms of just like the race organization, the pacing, the light timing, everything was kind of top notch. And that was my first outdoor race that was so officially, um, I guess organized. Um, but in terms of the actual, uh, night, um, I knew that, uh, the Friday had actually been, optimal in terms of condition so it was around 13 degrees like two kilometer hour winds and um just like a a nice cool crisp evening so once i looked at the forecast on the saturday i try not to let it get to me at all but coming from albuquerque which is probably the driest place on earth um the humidity was a, a stark difference so um that was a bit of a shock. And I think we, I, we ran at around 8 p.m. and it was still like 23 degrees. So 
Um, I don't think my body was completely um, ready for that for that kind of uh, for that kind of weather. But um, it was still like I can't say anything bad in terms of the how the event was run and and just the safety precautions that were taken. All right, before we move off of that whole idea of how it was set up. Let's talk a little bit about the lights. I, I'm i not sure how I feel about the lights, you know, like watching a couple of nights of, of you know, like racing along with, as a runner, what what was it like watching watching those lights go off? Well, it's actually funny because when I, when I saw the light timing system, immediately I thought about like Kipchoge, like I was thinking like a laser beam on the <laughs> yeah, track. Yeah, yeah. I, was not, I was not thinking these like, blinking airport runway lights that would go off incrementally as you're coming through because it's like a cat and mouse like sort of a like it, it's it kind of comes up and it it's not um it's not a consistent beam that you're that you're following so again just being a little bit naive I've never had that kind of technology but I was under the assumption that the phasers would be running on this green laser light beam <laughs> but no it's um for anyone maybe that didn't see it it's Basically, you have lights set up on the in, on the infield, and it they go off at the at the right increment pace. So you're basically catching the next light, um, which was on. I think it was set for 15:20. I'm not entirely sure, um, or just under. I think for the Olympic U.S. trials. Hmm. Um, in the first four, I was on the light. Like as I was coming through, I was actually running right off where the light was going on. Um, but eventually I didn't see the light anymore. So um, I didn't focus on that too much. I was really just looking at the runners in front of me and just kind of trying my best to stick with the lead pack um, and and just kind of focus in that way. But uh, I think it's, it's a good piece of technology for those, especially if you're pacing like a 1500 meter or something and you're hopping in after another race. It, it, I'm sure it's helpful, um, but probably a consistent light would be better than the, <laughs> than the blinking um, kind of individual ones. Okay, so so let's talk about the, the pace of that race because it was interesting to watch in that like almost immediately it was pretty strung out and then it packed back up and then, I don't know, roughly about, I guess, a mile left in the race. Then like things slowly started to ramp up again. What was that like and, and was it was it really opportune for what you were trying to achieve there? Yeah, I, I think I put a lot of trust in the the lead pack so before we even stepped on the line three of the pacers i think um cory mcgee and maddie ohm there was i forget exactly who was all up there but they were they were asking us just like who is coming with the lead pack so it was a very it felt less of a race more of this kind of like elite workout that we were that we were going into but um i knew i was just kind of sort of i guess an underdog coming in but um i knew that i wanted to be at kind of the mid to back of that front pack I didn't want to be at the front of that um I knew that a lot of these women had potential to go sub 15 if if the I think if the conditions were favorable but um once the pace went out I felt pretty comfortable I guess at whatever the 72 73 splits were um I can't remember I I thought we were at 3k and we weren't so that was that was a bit of a crushing moment in the race when I thought it was it was kind of the um, we were at the coming across the finish line and I was still a lap short of, of 3k there. So like two miles to go, but, um, yeah, I, 
all I could think was just kind of sticking with them as long as I could. And then there was a moment where I was trying to get around and I found myself sort of on the outside shoulder of, I think it was Wayne and Claudie there. And in hindsight, maybe I should have made the move and just get to the front. Um, but with, there was actually quite a bit of wind in the back stretch, which um, I felt was more of a factor than the humidity almost. But um, I didn't want to take the lead, especially on that 200. So there maybe was a move that I that I could have made that I didn't. Um, but coming in the last 1200, it was really everything I had. And when I finished it, I thought, oh, my gosh, like that was probably the hardest PB I've ever run. And I'm still 22 seconds off kind of the mark that I'm that I'm chasing, mind you, um, given everything and and even the travel, I think, maybe factored in as well. And just doing altitude for the first time. There's a lot that I've learned and a lot that I'm going to take forward into the next 5K race. Yeah, I mean, like watching watching that that last mile, and I remember, you know, getting a text from from my little brother as well too. You know, just they they showed your face a couple times. You're just off off the back of that lead pack, and you just look like you are in a different place at that time. Um, which I mean, like we've all run five Ks. We, <laughs> I think. I think we can really empathize, uh, maybe sympathize with with what you're feeling at that time. Uh, where are you psychologically uh, at that moment? Because like that was almost kind of hard to watch, you know. Yeah, so, I apologize for that. <laughs> uh, you, it looks worse than it is sometimes. I, it's hard to convince people of that, but I think. Uh, the pain face is just kind of like an outward expression. Sometimes you can be a little bit more calm inward, but, but no, I was I was hurting um, definitely. And um, there's something about the 5K that you need to prepare yourself for that level of hurt. And I've done enough 3Ks now, and even in the two mile, there's something very manageable about that distance. And no matter what pace, even if it goes out hot, I know I can finish. Like I, I just. I think I have this like sure confidence that no matter what I can kick and I can, I can finish that last four in the 5k, you get to 3k and you're a little over nine minutes, ideally. And at that point you still have two more K of the race to go. So you kind of look at it one of two ways, I guess. And it's, it's five laps and you can break it down, um, I guess based on the kilometer or however, but it, it is that extra level of, kind of endurance and I think just building up a little bit more volume will help um, and getting used to the pace changes as well so you're going fast but then all of a sudden girls are kind of making moves so you have to be able to switch into that next gear Um, but it is it's a different beast and I haven't done it as much as the 3k so I think it will take me a few shots but I know I have a faster time than me so I'm I'm really kind of excited for whatever race um comes up oh i definitely want to talk about that i mean like 1532 a uh, huge pb down down in texas but what was uh, kind of interesting this actually goes back a little bit to the the risk taking that we were talking about a little bit earlier but uh beforehand you you kind of you know called your shot put it out all on the table uh with a post where you're like this is my goal tonight this is where i really hope that i am and uh, that's respectable, but it's also very much a choice of you to do that. Uh, you know, looking back on that now, like, do you feel like that that was like the right thing to do? Would you do that again? Like, it's it's always an, an interesting sort of situation that that you know it's interesting to observe, anyways. 
Yeah. Um, well, I, I don't know. I think it's a lot about how you kind of frame it, I guess. And as you said, like, I, I'm not, I understand what the, what the standard is. And I know I'm not naive to how hard that time is to achieve that said, um, just coming off the two mile and, and knowing kind of my pace in terms of, I think maybe it works out to like 354, 355 per K. Um, it makes 72 pace feel relatively easy I guess like three minute k's but um I think it's still it's still the goal and I think it is a process um anytime that you can run a pv it's is great I think that's always the direction you want to be going how big that pv is sometimes is not totally within your control depending on conditions and all of that but um I'm not really scared to put my goals out there and no matter what happens, um, it's it's really just kind of that process and I think it is kind of special when people can see your development and kind of the steps along the way as well. So um, I like to just be, I guess, as authentic or as transparent as possible. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess there's still 22 seconds between where I am now and where I want to be. Um, that said, there's there's multiple ways to to qualify, and I think the best shot that you can give yourself is to run as close to that standard as possible. Um, but again, um, there are other options that I have kind of in the back of my mind. If if not A, then we'll go to the B and the C. So um, it, it's it is quite a puzzle, but um, I'm looking forward to it. Well, yeah, and I don't think anyone who was following along with that uh, event would would really disagree with you. I mean, just watching the the carnage, especially from the from the ten k's that that came after that, uh, it was almost kind of, kind of hard to to watch. It's one of those things where I think we all feel for you in that, like maybe another race, uh, you know, like shortly after that would have been like super super beneficial. Uh, you know, what what are your thoughts on that? And like, do you see anything coming up in, in the near future? you know, as far as hopping on a track again and really like trying to push that standard again? Yeah, for sure. I think it was it was nice like having that month time just to really train and, and have that goal race. Um, I've been training hard really since the fall. So this kind of two week downish time I'm kind of training just on the on the treadmill and trainer right now. But it's been nice just to in a way sort of just step back a little bit or recover from from everything and then um now i know where i'm at and what i need to do working into the spring um in terms of in terms of races so i have nothing um as of yet confirmed in terms of meets but i have sort of the itinerary listed out and then i'll sit down with steve and figure out kind of what the most logical and uh and best option is for me in terms of racing Okay, so I only have to ask this because it has been a while since we've seen anybody race. But uh, you were down there training with uh, with Charlotte Prose for a little while, and uh, wh- where's she at? Where's her training at? You know, is uh, is she kind of looking towards the Olympics right now? I mean, like, s- there's a lot of questions there because we haven't seen anyone race in a long time. You know? Yeah, I'm I'm sure she'd be fine if I said this. <laughs> so she's just finishing up at um, University of New Mexico. Um, there is still an outdoor season, I think, as far as I know, I don't know if it's been officially canceled or not, um, for NCs, but, um, yeah, she's, she's training, um, in terms of the steeplechase and, um, hopefully have some good opportunities coming up to, to run the standards. So 
um, it's a pretty exciting time for her as well. I guess so, both for for her and uh, and yourself after after the, that string of races down uh, in the United States. It was really cool to to watch you, you know, really put something together and just kind of put yourself out there in a number of different ways uh, there. And uh, it was great to catch up with you today, uh, Julianne. Hopefully the quarantine is not driving you too crazy. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Best of luck and big thanks to Julianne. If you like the show, remember, give us a thumbs up, say something nice and subscribe wherever you found this. And most importantly, tell a couple teammates. My name is Michael Rogas. This was the Terminal Mile. And remember, support your local Twilight Meet.